Today on Point 01, Aaron Cohen sits down with Tyler Lancaster, principal at Energize Ventures. Energize Ventures is a venture fund that works to accelerate digital innovation in energy and heavy industry. In this episode, Aaron and Tyler talk about a few of Energize's new investments and their outlook for how the Biden administration will affect the future of the clean energy transition. Without further ado, here's Aaron and Tyler. This is Aaron Cohen with Point 01, and I'm here with Tyler Lancaster, who's a principal at Energize Ventures. So here we are. It's a brand new year with a brand new presidential administration. And you guys invest in the hottest sector on the planet, which is the hottest sector on the planet because the planet is getting a lot hotter. Um, Tyler, tell us a little bit about the Energize mission and, and, and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I'm happy to start there. So um, Energize Ventures is a venture capital fund that invests in digital innovation for energy and heavy industry. We invest in primarily software and asset light businesses um, and typically at the Series B stage. So we're looking for companies with management team in place, a proven product, uh, a company that has you know at least a couple million dollars of annual revenue. Um, and they're ready to bring on more capital to scale. And usually that, um, that is focused on commercialization and sales. Um, so we like the capital that we bring in to help those companies um, build out the commercialization function. Uh, we focus on five themes. Uh, I'll list them off quickly. Uh, asset optimization, process automation, risk mitigation, decentralization, and electrification, last but not least. Um, and then I think it's important to talk about um, where our capital comes from. So RLPs are some of the largest uh, players within uh, the energy industry um, and the transition on, that we're currently undergoing. Um, so about half of our capital comes from large corporate entities, firms like Invenergy, which is one of the largestly, largest privately held renewable developers in the world. Uh, they focus primarily on wind and solar, but increasingly battery storage. Uh, we have General Electric, we have Schneider Electric, Caterpillar, and a few utilities. Um, the other half of our capital comes from is institutional investors. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is it's particularly important in how we invest and how we work with our portfolio companies. Um, as you can imagine, it's incredibly difficult to build software and scale uh, within the sectors that I've mentioned. Uh, long sale, sales cycles, lots of regulatory issues, et cetera. And so what we found is that engaging with that corporate LP base during diligence and then act after investing um, to create potential customer relationships is a very powerful tool. Um, and I, I'm happy to talk a little bit more about what that actually looks like uh, when we're evaluating companies. Yeah, let, let, um, let's do that when ahead. we get into companies. Let's go back to the themes. Hit me with those again, sure. because I want to actually get those translated for our audience out there. So we, we all have the same vocabulary. So hit me with those themes again, and let's, let's, let's go from there. Okay. And I'll, I'll try to give a, you know, a sentence on each as well in terms of what it means. That'd be to great. Us. Uh, so the first is asset optimization. The concept is as we digitize assets in the field and are throwing off reams of data, how do we use that data and apply analytics, machine learning, et cetera, uh, to, to increase revenue, extend life, to reduce costs for those assets? Um, so let's give me an example of an asset that needs to be optimized. 
Sure. Yeah, sure. So um, it could be a it could be a wind farm, right? And uh, an example of what this could look like is wind farms. Uh, most most wind farms um, have some form of, of local compute on site or in the wind turbine itself, and are collecting tons and tons of data on vibration, on acoustics, um, on temperature. Um, and the question becomes, what do we now do with all this data? Um, it's very difficult for operators of large-scale uh, assets in the field to send all this data back up to the cloud. Um, there's lots of bandwidth constraints, et cetera. And so what, what we focus on is figuring out ways for those asset oper operators to actually do something useful with that data in the field to optimize their assets. Does that make sense? It does. Let, let's go a step further there. I, again, I, I think sure. there's a kind of kind of, uh, let's say renewables soft, renewable software infrastructure layer 101 yeah. to this conversation. So again, the wind turbine, it's, it's a helpful, the wind farm's a helpful thing, right? So here we have this physical space, a lot of data gets generated and actually gets collected in this wind farm in the middle of the ocean or no, you know, some the middle of the country or middle of some place. And right. that data could be useful for what? Why is it important to collect that data? And what, what are we hoping to have happen as a result of, 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 of putting it through some analytical rigor? Yeah, let me give a, maybe a, a specific example. Um, and this is something that one of our portfolio companies is actually doing. Um, so um, when uh, some, one piece of data that's particularly useful for a wind turbine um, is is acoustic data. So you can actually hear if you if you actually collect um, acoustic data over time, you can begin to identify when um, the wind turbine is um, having an anomalous behavior. Um, so when you see that acoustic data um, either spiking or um, the, the, essentially the sound of the of the rotor blades doesn't sound like it has in the past, you can then become predictive about looking at failure. And you can send a you know a field crew out um, to conduct some maintenance work well in advance of that blade um, failing, which becomes incredibly expensive if you think about you know wind turbine. Uh, it's, a, it's an incredibly large piece of infrastructure. If one of those blades were to fail, it can cause millions of dollars of, of uh, lost revenue and cost. So so th so this is important here. Collecting the acoustics is actionable on preventative mm -hmm. maintenance. And, right. and the challenge is if it doesn't come back to some central command, the so-called cloud and therefore get to some kind of management in, you know, oversight, uh, it does you no good. So, right. so, so what company did you invest in who's working on, on aggregating that data and making it actionable? Yeah, we have a few that, that have addressed a few of the, of the challenges in doing um, data analytics on an asset like a wind turbine. Uh, one is called Zadita. Um, they are an operating system for edge assets. You can kind of see <laughs> how this fits in. Right. Um, they they help companies kind of collate that, that data and um, only send back up to the cloud the most important pieces. So it, if and when an anomaly is spotted, that goes back up to the cloud, is stored, um, and, and a back office engineer can actually do something useful with it. So it limits the amount of information that needs to be stored and processed through telecom networks. Cool. Um, All right. So, so, so 
right out of the gate, like I guess we should say in that example, what was really helpful is where you are working, you're investing in software companies that are trying to optimize the performance and value of multi billion dollar assets, right? These are, these assets are so expensive with wind farm as an example, right? It, it, you're deploying an amazing amount of capital, but the companies themselves don't have the operating systems to maintain that infrastructure. So that became a venture thesis. That's correct. Yeah. That's and thesis one, one. Yeah. And what, one thing I should say is, you know, we're, we're certainly focused on, um, on large scale uh, utility renewable infrastructure, but um, we also invest in, in the software platforms and business models that support small scale infrastructure as well. So rooftop solar, electric vehicle charging, et cetera. I, I think what we've done with you know, the, the focus areas that we, we've identified is working with RLPs who are the firms building this infrastructure, engineering it, designing it, operating it, understanding from beginning of life to end of life, where do they have pain points that software can help to optimize, uh, optimize those operations. Okay. That's really cool. So basically you've got an LP, let's use GE as an example. They're building stuff. The management of these renewable assets has pain points. Those are venture backable opportunities. Those pain points are so significant that they are venture backable. We, we believe so. And we believe that's starting to play out. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Let's go to thesis two. So we did, we did uh, sort of asset lifecycle management. What was the second one? Yeah. Process automation. Um, and I'll, I'll, I always think it's, it's more helpful to give a very tangible example um, because I think <laughs> like, like you mentioned before, sometimes these concepts can seem um, like buzzwords. So um, let me br- try to break it down a little bit. Um, so now that we've collected a bunch of data and sent it back to um, the central team that's managing a wind farm, uh, they actually need to, to do something with it. Um, and what we found is that um, oftentimes um, the, the back office workflow becomes um, an, an issue in terms of actually translating a piece of data or insight into action. And a lot of, a lot of times a software or a computer can do a better job of automating that process than, than a human does today. And so the specific example in this case, uh, we invested in a company called drone deploy, which builds drone software, uh, essentially to, to automate aerial, uh, imagery collection. So I send my drone out to the field, the drone is flying around the wind turbine looking for cracks. This is, you know, a little bit different than the example I gave before, which was acoustic data, but it's also useful, useful to fly a drone around the wind turbine looking for cracks and lightning strikes. Um, now I have thousands and thousands of hours of, uh, video data that I send back to a team again in, in central command. They now have to go through that, that, uh, video feed and look for, um, for cracks and lightning strikes. Well, uh, what we did on the back end is we invested in a company called Matroid, which is a computer, computer vision, uh, software platform that enables folks to automate the, um, the processing of all that visual data. 
right? So I can tell the, the Matroid software, look for this crack. Um, and then I don't have, actually have to go through all the video feeds myself. Uh, so I, I totally get that. Right. So it's, it's, it's quite similar. Like we're, get, we're, we're now finding multiple investments around the theme of how do you protect these enormously valuable assets? I, yeah. I, I, I totally get that. What, um, okay, cool. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Cause I feel like process automation is pretty linked to the first one we discussed. Yeah. Okay. So why don't we actually jump, uh, next to electrification? Um, Tell me because about I think that. this is, yeah, it's particularly relevant, um, given, uh, the new administration in place, um, as well. Um, the way we, that we think about electrification is if, um, if first we're able to transition, um, our power generation fleet to renewables, which we believe is happening at scale, primarily with solar and wind, uh, but a few other uh, technologies like geothermal and nuclear as well. Um, in order to massively reduce greenhouse gas emissions across different sectors, then we need to electrify everything and power those electrons with renewable energy. And so what that means for us is primarily transportation buildings and some industrial processes. We think those are sort of the most um, em eminent uh, from an electrification standpoint. Um, and we like to invest in the software platforms and create business models that are helping to accelerate the electrification process. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to give an example, but I believe this is an area you're quite familiar with as well, given you know the work that you you've done on cold yeah. chain. Well, so. and, and 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 you guys are doing it with EVs. I mean, there's some interesting. I you know I, I want to talk about this. This is obviously a big point of one thing, but let's pause to talk about electrification for a second. Essentially, the bet yeah. that your firm and many of us are making in let's call it the larger climate tech space is that the on the journey away from fossil fuels is electrification we have yeah. to stop using oil and start using electricity anywhere we can and then the way we create the electricity will be renewable we're you know we're we're trying to parallel those bets is that the right, right way to think about electrification? That's right. And I, my, my opinion, um, at least on um, the creation of the energy with sol sun, the sun and the wind, that I, I believe that bet is already won. Um, I believe we're seeing it play out in the market. Um, I believe there's some new data actually released today by Bloomberg New Energy Finance that in, de in December, essentially all new power generation capacity was, was solar or wind. Um, and we, we don't see that trend going away in the, in the coming years. Right. But, but so the, the narrative out there in the, let's call it skeptical energy industry is that the grid is so poor and so bad that even if we had a 100% renewable opportunity that we wouldn't be able to store and the, the electricity, we wouldn't be able to time power generation properly. How do you guys think about that issue? We think that our investment thesis and the companies that are focusing on digital solutions um, with, within that area uh, will be incredibly relevant for helping to solve that, right? 
So um, to, to integrate variable renewable generation onto the grid, to integrate distributed energy resources and, and allow them to participate in energy markets. Um, we think that um, with a little bit of, of storage, a little bit of geothermal, um, a little bit of, uh, of nuclear and the sun and the wind, and then a host of digital technologies to help optimize how all those assets interact and deliver electricity to, um, to consumers and businesses, that we'll be able to reach 90 to 100% uh, de uh, decarbonized grid. Bye. By when? I think it'll happen faster than, uh, than most folks are currently modeling. Um, if you had to twist my arm and, and have me put a number on it, I'd probably say by 2040. Right. Which is pretty soon. Yeah. That, 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 Very soon. <laughs> that's an aggressive, that's an aggressive number. Um, so Tyler, you, you, you rightly pointed out that, uh, the point one project is a, is, is the work of, uh, of, of the Therma company, right? I, I'm a co-founder of Therma and we work on smart cold chain, the idea of overhauling the global cold chain. When you lay out the biggest prop, when you guys sit around at your, you know, your management meetings, your, your partner meetings, and you're thinking about the biggest problems as you've heard about them from LPs, uh, to solve, um, you know, for us, cold chain is one of those, but how do you, I see you guys have done a lot of EV work. What, what, mm -hmm. what are the big buckets that let's say are consumer facing, if you will, um, that we've got to get right over the next decade? Yeah. Yeah. So the way I usually like to think about this is to start, um, with the breakdown of where emissions comes from today, right? It, it was previously power generation. Now it's overwhelmingly uh, trans transportation uh, and you know buildings and agriculture. But in terms of our expertise, where we feel like we can really make a difference is the transition of power generation to primarily renewable, and then also um, the transition of transportation from. Uh, gasoline to electrons, which you alluded to before. Um, and then I'd say the third area is also on, on the building side of the equation. Um, I think buildings is an area where you know, our LPs with folks like Schneider Electric and, and the business they have in building controls um, and, and management, um, I would say those are probably the three areas from a, a climate perspective that uh, we'll focus on. And the, to your point, uh, we've made bets uh, in, in a few of these areas already, specifically around solar and uh, EV charging. And I'm happy to talk about, you know, why we believe those companies will be 0.01 uh, companies down the road. Well, that that's the thing, right? Like you have a unique perspective on both those categories, or at least you have unique yeah. investments in those categories. I do want to talk about both of those. So let's, let's, let's get into that. You want to start where, where do you want to start EVs or building controls? Uh, let's start with EVs. Great. Yeah. So uh, we made a bet on a firm called Volta Charging. Um, they, what they do is they install EV chargers, but with two giant digital screens on either side, and they locate them um, at uh, locations um, where people go. So that means grocery stores. It means 
um, uh, CVS, it means Walgreens, it means movie theaters. Um, and what they do is instead of, sell, of selling the electricity, uh, they monetize that network with advertising. So they give the electricity away for free, uh, they monetize with advertising, and what that has led to is uh, the most capital efficient uh, EV charging network and the most highly utilized EV charging network that is currently operating in the United States. Okay, so this is a very big idea, right? The way, yeah. the, the way Tesla was constructed early on, let's use them as the example, is that you bought a car and then you had a higher electric bill at your house, or maybe you got to charge at your local commuter parking lot or you know, maybe at work. That's how it worked. You were either yeah. offsetting the charges in one of those spots. Okay, now, but still that was better. You weren't paying for gasoline. Now you guys have taken the cost of this to zero for the, for the end user, for the consumer. So instead Correct. of $40 at the gas tank, the price will be zero at the gas tank, if you will, the, electri the electron tank. Um, what does it mean that it's the, where is Volta operating and, and what, what, where, what, you know, where, how, what are the, the kind of KPIs that give you so much enthusiasm about this particular investment? Yeah, and maybe just a little bit of background and history on on EV on the EV charging market because I think it's relevant. Um, it's really difficult to pay off the cost of infrastructure by selling electricity as a commodity alone. Uh, there was a whole host of firms that took that approach early. Um, I don't think a whole lot of them are around anymore. Tesla right. took the approach that you mentioned because <laughs> um, they were more interested in, in you know pushing the core product of the vehicle. Um, so it's very smart to staple on the entire experience of, of EV charging as well. Um, the reason why we're so bullish on Volta um, is they, so, you know, they're, they're operating th throughout the United States today, um, primarily in, in metropolitan centers. They have um, you know, almost 2000 stations on their network um, and uh, you know, are, are building it out uh, very quickly. Um, I think the most relevant data point that, you know, when we were looking at them from an investment standpoint, they're able to pay off the cost of their infrastructure. And uh, this includes all the operating costs for electricity and maintenance, et cetera, um, in less than five years. And in many cases, it's less than two years. Uh, we've seen that, you know, at 10 years plus in, 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 in the past with other companies. Um, and so why that matters in order to, to build out this infrastructure with a massive scale that will be required, we need to build ma massively profitable businesses. I know you talk about this a lot on, on your podcast. And, uh, you know, when we're digging in on Volta, um, at least on a unit basis, they're massively profitable. And we think that's incredibly important um, in, in the EV charging space. And it, and it hasn't really been done historically. Right. So what's really powerful about this is advertisers need more outlets, right? So there is actually right. a really important demand side here in terms of the revenue model for Volta, I mean, this is my old, you know, like I grew up in the media industry, so I'm pretty sensitive to that, that world. I, 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 what's, what's interesting to me about it is how do people, what is the consumer behavior that plugs into Volta as opposed to, you know, at home or wherever the other possibilities around, why is it convenient enough to get free, I guess would be my question. 
Yeah. Um, it's a great question. Um, so, so first of all, people do love free <laughs> and, um, part of how we actually show that is in the utilization of the Volta network is, is much higher than any other EV charging network out there. I mean, they're conducting eight to nine charging sessions per day. Each session is called 60 to 70 minutes. Um, so there's, there's always someone plugged into a Volta charger. Why that matters for the, um, the site hosts, you know, the, you know, the places where these EV chargers are actually placed is to actually link, um, a bolt, a person charging in a Volta charger to an increase in revenue in their retail location. Um, and, that, and so that's one component to it. The other is exactly the point you made before, which was, you know, advertisers need a new platform, um, uh, to advertise things like an electric vehicle, a new electric vehicle model. Right. Um, and what better way to reach consumers than on an EV charger, um, and, you know, in a, in a, in a parking lot. And it's frankly, it's a, a way of reaching customers that, uh, you can't do, um, at home or, or at work. And where is Volta deployed in the country? Uh, they're, they're all over. So they're in New York, they're in Chicago. Um, they're in Atlanta, they're in California. Uh, actually, if you go on their website, uh, there's a map which shows it's, exactly where all of their chargers it's are. It's urban. It's urban. You just yes. described more than it is sort of exurban or, or that's interesting. Okay. Um, right. So that, that's a really yeah. exciting one could see how, how given um, how much gasoline is pumped every day and given how large the gas station advertising market is like one can see the scale of this opportunity, particularly if you can, um, tie it back to the way the digital infrastructure market is working now in terms of right. advertising and stuff like that. But let's, let's, let's move on. Let's move on to the other category because that's a real 0.01 effectively a really interesting way of building a media business by making the cost of EV charging free. That's what that that's is. Right. That's another Google Facebook model, right? At some level. Um, I think you, I think you said it better than I could, <laughs> uh, talk about the, talk about, let's talk about the, the building category. Sure. Um, I'm actually going to, the, the company that I want to talk about next is, is tangential, tangential to building controls. We actually have not made an investment in building controls yet. I think we will, okay. um, uh, in the future. Um, but let me cover another company that, um, is focused on buildings mm -hmm. and that's Aurora solar. Um, uh, you had asked a question around uh, why we continue to invest in solar technologies and what Aurora is doing, I think is, is, uh, particularly interesting. Uh, they focus on only rooftop solar, at least today. And, uh, what they do is provide so software to help sell design and permit solar for buildings better, faster, cheaper. Um, and I have a little bit of background on this one because I started my career designing solar for commercial industrial buildings. And, um, I remembered how costly that entire process was. Uh, and we, frankly, we had no good software to manage it. Um, the process of going out, uh, taking measurements of the building, coming back, uh, entering that data into a design platform, considering all the financing options, et cetera. It's an incredibly complex process. And frankly, it's hamstrung the solar industry 
um, for the past couple of years by creating very large soft costs, which have prevented the solar industry from becoming massively profitable like I think it can be. Yeah, I mean, I think homeowners know this from the phone calls they get, you know, begging them to put solar panels on their roofs, right? This happens to be all building, it's all commercial building based, right? Aurora Solar? They focus, they focus both on residential and commercial. So, that, um, right. Okay. So that's interesting. So yeah. who are their customers? I mean, ultimately it's people who want to deploy solar panels. Are they distributors? They have over almost 2000 customers and, and their customers are primary, primarily solar companies, but we're actually seeing a lot of companies from other verticals come in as well. You can think about roofing, you can think about EV companies, <laughs> you can think about uh, real estate data companies. All of these firms are interested in the technology which Aurora has built, which fundamentally is a way to simulate any building anywhere using LIDAR data and satellite imagery data. Okay. So, all right, let's just use my house as an example. How would Aurora empower a solar company here in Connecticut? Absolutely. Yeah. So as as that solar company, I have, you know, a license to Aurora software. Uh, What Aurora does is ingests, uh, like I mentioned, LIDAR data, uh, LIDAR point clouds and satellite imagery data. And they create a 3D model of, of that home. Um, and what uh, the solar company then can, can then do either in the process of selling or designing is go in and place solar panels on that rooftop in various configurations um, and then simulate the energy production, the savings, et cetera, um, all in Aurora's software. Um, and why that matters, uh, the old way of doing it, like you mentioned, was you would either you know, cold call um, potential customers, you would walk out to their house, you would knock on their door, uh, and you have to do this several times in between the point at which you actually are attempting to sell a, a solar uh, installation and then actually putting it on the house. Um, and what Aurora enables you to do is to do that all remotely without ever visiting the home. So you actually, I actually know ahead of time if your house is a good fit for solar or not. And I can prioritize my list of, of potential customers using Aurora software in that way. And, and, and that software is sophisticated enough to know, for example, that trees, the position of trees in, in, in my neighborhood or on my neighbor's lawns that might conceivably block the southern exposure of my roof? Correct. Yeah, the shading engine is actually one of the places they started o- o- over six years ago. Uh, it was one of the most challenging um, <laughs> engineering problems to address initially. And uh, they're now validated by NREL and, and several independent agencies uh, for the accuracy um, of their of their shading analysis. I mean, this is all done in the software. So shading engine is a new phrase for me. <laughs> and I got to say, I like it. I think shading engine, it, all, all great renewable energy companies should have a shading engine. I, I like that idea. We, I we think don't so have too. a shading engine. We, we need a cooling engine, I guess. Uh, in our, in our industry, not a shading engine, but I like the idea of like blank engine. Um, yeah. yeah Tyler, I mean, one, one thing I'd add on Aurora, just, uh, before you have any other questions, um, I don't think people realize how big the solar industry has gotten already. <laughs> it's in the U S alone, it's, you know, $10 billion a year in revenue. And the reason why we're so excited about Aurora 
is if, if they can become, as we believe they can be, the operating system by which the solar industry um, conducts its business, then that can look like Aviva looks like for healthcare providers. It can look like some of the other very successful vertical software companies like a Procore for construction. Um, and so, you know, most folks, when we talk about Aurora, they ask, well, is the market size really big, big enough? Um, and, you know, we believe it is and will, you know, frankly, will only grow uh, to become larger in the future. Well, I mean, I think actually 10 billion is might shock people in terms of the size of 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 the market, but it is nothing yeah. as a percentage of our energy costs. It's nothing. Right. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny fraction of what it could be, uh, which right. takes me to my next question, which is which is about the change in administration and what your um, again, your partner meetings have been uh, over the last eight weeks or so, as you think about the deployment of capital uh, with an administration that certainly people are hoping is 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 really much, much friendlier to uh, the renewable energy industry and just to the so-called climate tech industry. Um, how, how have the winds changed internally? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you have to say that this new administration will provide um, new tailwinds for um, climate technology as a category. And uh, I guess we're fortunate because one of my colleagues, uh, Katie, spent nearly a decade um, running um, policy for Invenergy. Uh, so she actually was um, you know, in DC and, and working with local utility commissions on the topic of renewable energy for, for years and years. Um, and so I think she broke it down best uh, when, when we talk about it and sort of the three areas that we see being uh, most impactful from this administration. First, uh, continued support for early stage R&D and expansion of, of tax credits and loan guarantees for climate technologies that maybe um, are just getting started. Uh, we think um, that was one of the, the, the um, real successes of um, of Cleantech 1.0 was the capacity to support early stage R&D and first projects, um, first plants in a way that has you know, frankly gone away in, in recent years with this previous administration. Um, the next is FERC and the impact agencies can have. Um, I, I don't think, I think you mentioned this earlier, but I don't think people realize how difficult it is to permit renewables, uh, uh, renewable energy from a transmission standpoint or to uh, invest in grid modernization because of how hamstrung FERC has been over the past three to four years. Um, so we think that the impact of agencies like FERC, DOE, et cetera, uh, being much more supportive of this ecosystem will actually uh, be a tremendous tail tailwind for the industry. Um, and then last but not least, EV charging infrastructure. We've already talked about it. Biden has indicated support for getting 500,000 EV charging ports out uh, into the U.S. It would be a, a capital investment of anywhere from five to seven billion. Um, I mentioned this before. Transportation is now the largest source of emissions in the United States. It's the, in the next large area that we have to figure out. And we're woefully behind China and Europe, uh, at least as of today. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think that in general, we're woefully behind on a, on a variety <laughs> of dimensions, not the least of which is electrification. 
and just yeah, kind of great right. grid grid readiness. I um I but on the other hand, you know, I've had a number of guests on uh the podcast last year who've talked about even in the previous administration just what an unbelievable job growth engine the uh, renewable energy space has been in particular, and the climate tech industry has been sort of on a, on a, on a larger basis. Um, and I, 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 I have to say, I've been really thinking a lot about as we've, this last, you know, obviously last week was very challenging uh, in the country for many, many people. And yeah. uh, I haven't had a chance to talk about it on the podcast at all, but it, it seems to me there's an incredible opportunity to make the... Um, the 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 green new deal uh heavily beneficial to red states it seems to me you could be doing a tremendous you this is to say you guys um particularly could be doing a lot of investing in these large open expanses that where there's huge opportunity for uh wind and solar um, and land is cheap, and there's just really significant opportunities to change um, this middle of the country. And I, I think it's a really exciting. I, I, you know, sometimes when it's as dark as it gets out there, you 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 don't see around the corner to the way in which uh, green the the Green New Deal, which is I think a tough phrase for a lot of you know, a significant percentage of the country really could be incredibly unifying. And I'm just curious, like, you know, how much will the change in administration change your investment pace? Yeah, interesting. Let me answer it this way. Uh, The Green New Deal has been playing out across red and blue states throughout this country, irrespective of what um, our federal government has been up to the past couple years. And you're exactly right. Um, The places where wind and solar go are actually predominantly red states. Um, Just a few weeks ago, Invenergy announced the largest solar plant in the country, uh, 1.3 gigawatts. Can you guess what state it was in? I'll go Texas. That's right. Oh, good. that's right. That's exactly right. So <laughs> I, I, I agree with you hundred um, percent. We, we believe there's tons of jobs to come from the massive expansion of infrastructure that uh, investment that will have to occur and, and not just wind and solar, but also in, in the grid itself, uh, which again is pervasive. It doesn't see red or blue. <laughs> um, and uh, we think that's been happening. Uh, so we're hopeful that this administration with, you know, uh, a supportive Senate um, and House of Representatives will be an accelerant. Um, but either way, we think that transition is playing out. It's good to hear, Tyler. Um, what's the next, you know, year for you? Like, I, I really am curious now. You're You're a young person at the... I don't, I don't want to say dawn, but what, maybe in the second inning, in the second or third inning, maybe of um, yeah. the over the, the kind of reinvention of our, of our energy grid um, mm-hmm. of our sources of energy. Kind of when you look out on your career, 
what do you want to be able to tell, you know, your grandchildren 30 or 40 or 50 years from now uh, about, about what happened in the 2020s? Yeah. Um, great question. Hopefully I have a, a reasonably good answer. So, um, so first of all, one thing that I'm very excited about in the next couple of years is I think we are going to begin to see other 0.01 success stories emerge in a way that has been absent for the past decade beyond you know, Tesla and maybe one or two other firms um, that have made it to the public markets. Uh, so as a venture capital investor- Tyler, what are the I'm one or two? I, I got to interrupt you. What are your one or two others that you think we've got to give some more credit to than we have on this podcast? Uh, I think uh, Sunrun uh, is a fantastic firm and what they've done um, you know, on the front lines for rooftop solar and are now beginning to do um, with virtual power plants and, and storage, sort of expanding the scope of their business beyond um, the core uh, rooftop solar business. Uh, I think they have tremendous, uh, tremendous outlook going forward. Um, Enphase is another one uh, that is a player within, um, within uh, the solar industry. They, they build micro inverters, uh, but are uh, expanding their business to focus on storage as well. Um, I think there are a few examples of firms that we can point to as successes, but um, if you compare climate technology to enterprise software, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a handful versus the, there's an entire index built around the cloud, right? That that's correct. what it publishes. <laughs> correct. So, correct. Um, correct. What has been a challenge historically in attracting investors and capital to our area is we don't have a whole lot of uh, very large outcomes to point to. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited that I think in the next two to three years, we'll, we'll have not just a handful, but a, a whole host of companies that are going public or acquired for very large sums of money. And that hopefully will only bring more capital attention and entrepreneurs to this space. Um, in terms of, you know, what I'm hoping to do over the next couple of years, we're um, absolutely just in the second inning. Um, and uh, we're very excited to continue supporting entrepreneurs uh, out of our fund. Um, and um, look, uh, to me, the, the biggest thing is like, we need to be, we, we needed to be moving faster yesterday. If we want to come anywhere close to achieving um, the Paris goals, we needed to be replacing every ice combustion vehicle with an electric vehicle. We needed to be uh, adding solar to every new rooftop or roof being replaced. We need, we needed to have every light bulb be an led rather than incandescent. Um, and so, um, this is a decade where we really have to get it right. And I, I truly believe that the only hope we have is to build massive profitable enterprises that are focused on this problem. Um, otherwise I, I doubt that we're, we're going to get there fast enough. Uh, and, uh, avoid massive public health and, and infrastructure damage along the way. Um, so that's, that's what I'm excited about. Tyler Lancaster, welcome to the 0.01 tribe. That was, I can't <laughs> say it any better than that. Um, yeah, listen, companies got us into this. Companies have to get us out of this, right? I mean, there's no other way. And so um, that's right. we, we heard about some really, we heard about some really, interesting possible 0.01s on this on this call on this podcast right volta we heard about uh aurora 
the idea of being the operating system of the solar industry, because to me, the solar industry is going to be, you know, I think grow two orders of magnitude over the next day. I think it could be a trillion dollar industry in, in, yeah. in a decade. So, I, you know, the being the OS of that would be, would be a, 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 you know, if not Google or Facebook like value company, certainly a Salesforce like value company. And so I, I, I think that's a, I, I, I think that's a really, the, the, those are very interesting examples. I think Volta as, you know, media as energy is, you know, really interesting, really interesting take, right? I mean, the big idea at Google was to make search free and effective at a time when search was not effective. It was free, but not effective. And I, I, I think there's something very powerful about these kinds of innovations. So um, incredibly exciting. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun way for me to start the year. And uh, I hope you'll come back and I hope you'll introduce us to some of these portfolio CEOs because they, they sound like they have 0.01 stories to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Let's make electricity free and effective. I think that might have to be the new, new mantra um, for Team Energize. Right. I love it. Uh, thanks for being here, Tyler. If you want to stay up to date with Energize Ventures, follow them on Twitter at EnergizeVC. You can also learn more by visiting their website at Energize.VC. Today's podcast is presented by Therma, a smart refrigeration monitoring company. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to Point One Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Point One Podcast or on the web at climate.hellotherma.com.